bang, 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 on the Empire Podcast this week, we talked to two superb British actors at very different stages of their career. One, George Mackay, is just starting out but has excellent work under his belt, including this week's Pride. And the other, well, let's just say, the name's Moore. So Roger Moore. That was a Roger Moore impression. Really good. Plus, this week's movie reviews and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, as a special treat, has taken a leaf out of YouTube's book and uploaded a Look Who's Talking Now spoiler special podcast into all your devices. No need to thank us. It's our gift to you. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by... Drumroll. Drumroll. Drum no. Drumroll. Thank you. A Who's Line superfan who won't stand for any mockery if he mistakes... Oh, box. <laughs> <laughs> a Who's Line superfan who won't stand for any mockery if he makes a mistake... He just styles it out. It's Ali Plum. Wayne to go. Do you like that? Yep. I think Wayne I want to, to leave this pod and go work on a ranch somewhere. That's a real... Oh, that's good. That's, that's a real good. Mike McShame. Oh, good stuff, guys. I love you guys. You're wow. my favourite guys. Wow, what a carry-on. And gal. Of course. Thanks. Speaking of gals, uh, she's a supernatural super fan who, due to administrative oversights, managed to win Chester... In a radio quiz, God knows what she'll do with it. It's Helen O'Hara. Yes, I'm planning on turning the ancient walled city of Chester into a huge supernatural theme park. As it should be. Indeed. It isn't already? Ha <laughs> ha! They're, they're missing a trick, surely. Last but not least, it's a Jurassic Park superfan who's somehow still alive despite deciding to eat only food consumed in the movie. So he survives on a diet of Chilean sea bass, green jelly and Samuel L. Jackson's arm. It's Nick Dissemlian. Right now, I'm squirting shaving foam onto a piece of pie and squashing it with my hand. Have you ever consumed a live cow as um, it's been dropped down on top of you? I don't like to talk about it. Right. <laughs> what, what happens at Bodine's stays at Bodine's. <laughs> Excellent. Welcome all. Hope you're all well. I, I don't mean that. It's just oh. to get the, the small talk out of the way. Uh, here are some questions you guys have been sending in. Uh, not you guys, the people in the booth with me, but you guys, the people who are not in the booth, listen to this podcast. Um, you sent in via Twitter this week here's the first question it is from at Knittery Knittery K-N-I-T-T-E-R-Y who asks what film shop would you most like to visit uh, by that I presume they mean shops from movies and not say the cinema store which is awesome uh, so go on well, have it, it it's it's easy actually it's uh, got to be Flourish and Blots from uh, Diagon Alley Harry Potter because it has magic books. And who doesn't want magic books? I don't want magic books. Well, you are a fool. I have a Kindle. Yeah, magicer than that, even. <laughs> What's more it magic than a Kindle? It seems impossible, and yet here we are. Um, also, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, for much the same reason, and also because it has a, a ridiculous name that deserves to be, you know, helped uh, and supported. Uh-huh. And maybe the shop around the corner, because they had those interesting little boxes. Yes, they, they, they do have interesting little boxes. I've just noticed that someone, the person who's been in this booth before us, has left um, what can only be described as the contents of a donut on my desk, which is really, frankly, disgusting. But anyway. I think Nedry's been here. <laughs> Nedry's been here. Ha, ha, ha. Speaking of Nedry, I always mm. wanted to go to the Jurassic Park merchandise, you know, yeah. when they had all of that stuff. Yeah. And I remember thinking how clever it was that in the movie, they kind of took the mick out of merchandise. Like, look, look at all this vainglorious 
trumpeting of a of a theme park that wasn't even open yet and then of course you go to the ride in universal studios and it's there and you do buy that stuff hot fact in the film the book that they the camera pans past is the actual book you can buy the making of the uh, the They're making so of the clever. film which i had very exciting look mm. at that twisting my melon that's an incredible piece of meta that is amazing that is amazing i would love to go to sven jorgensen's swedish bookstore as seen in top secret and see whether it, it really is <laughs> Backwards, everything's backwards in that store, Good including call. Sven Jorgensen himself. Uh, that's an amazing store. I'd love to go to. Hey, speaking of Scandinavian stores, you could also mm-hmm. go to that winter clothing store in Frozen. That looked fun. They had a sauna in the back of the shop. I still haven't seen Frozen. You were a fool. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> FAO Schwartz, obviously, I'll be the first one to say it from Big, which I actually got a chance to visit last year. Uh-huh. I didn't go on the piano because I thought I'd look like a total burk. But I should have. I'm regretting it now. Yeah, you spoke to Robert uh, Lodge, didn't you? Scarface. Your Scarface feature. Did yeah. you mention the piano scene from Big to him? It did not come up. Great. Uh, that, that's an awesome anecdote. <laughs> I'd like to go to the quick stop from Clerks uh, because it yes. would be the least... Like it could easily, Obviously, it is just still a store, I'm sure. But I like to think that people have no idea. They just go in, they buy the stuff, then it realise just how genuinely important this wonder, tiny yeah. store is. And more than that, the video store next door. Yes. If it's still around. If video stores are still around. My I, God, yeah. I, I've not been outside for 20 years, so I have it's, no idea. It's a, a, a rare breed, indeed. I'm going to mention a shop. What about the what about the porn shop in Pulp Fiction? Wouldn't mind going to that. No. What? 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 Don't go there. The, it's it's the, a lot of fun going on in there. I, I hear lots of noises. Yeah. It seems to be... A good time. It's a fun time in the basement, I promised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a neon sign flashing going, downstairs for more fun. Mm. Chris, you look concerned. Uh, you popped a store into my head and then immediately went back, went back out again. Well, I've got another one. Okay. Which is, this isn't a store in a film, but it is a store for a film. It is the Little Lebowski shop in New York, where someone has taken a very small shop and just turned it into a massive Lebowski fest. And you can see a small clip of Jeff Bridges going to the store, which, bear in mind, has it has inflatable dolls of every single character. One is strapped to the ceiling. You can probably guess why. She's about to spray paint all over the floor. And there's a video of Jeff Bridges on a PBS show called Jeff Bridges, The Dude Abides, walking into the shop and freaking out the owner, who's dressed in a dressing gown, wearing the shades. And he just goes, I, I... I, I, and just obviously just losing it. Mm-hmm. But of course, Jeff Bridges is the coolest cat and just goes, yeah, I like what you're doing. This is good. Yeah, oh, you got the mugs. Great. Yeah. And I can get a bowling pin uh, bong. That's fantastic. Um, so yeah, do check out that video. It's just a little quick teaser for the for a longer show about Jeff Bridges. I would also like to mention The Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. where you can buy horrors. Yeah. Which is pretty good. If you, That's not what when they you, sell. When you need horror, you can get one there. The store in Gremlins at the beginning. Obviously, yes. it's been oh, bulldozed yeah. by the, the villainous forces of Clamp, but that would have been good. Uh, Ali, I'm amazed you haven't mentioned High Fidelity. It would take ages to get service. If you asked for, like, I don't know, NSYNC, you'd be yep. thrown out the window and have your mm. teeth knocked out by a till. Which is ironic, because who doesn't want NSYNC on vinyl? I of mean, course. that's just a classic. It's difficult to scratch it on your turntable, otherwise. I've tried it with a CD. In terms of places you want to visit, maybe not really, but um, uh, I always like the idea of the, the another pawn shop, the pawn shop in the Terminator where Arnie goes and gets served by Dick Miller and then serves Dick Miller with bullets. And you, you know, hey, you can't do that. Wrong, says Arnie, and then he blows him away. 
<laughs> Wrong. You can do that. You can do that. Thanks for clarifying. I'm a Tumblr yeah, just... asshole. Your Roger Moore is getting better. It is, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm attempting to enter. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to mention Donald the Dead again. George Romero's Donald the Dead, which has an entire mall of places, you know, malls, mall of shops to choose from. It actually is a real mall. It's the Monroeville Mall out there in uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I think it's still standing to this day. And uh, they, they basically, they would shut it down. They would shoot at night, so the the mall would be a mall during the day, and then they would shut down night. And they would race in and quickly redress what they needed to redress, and and uh, and and kill all the, the zombies, and then wipe the blood off the walls, and then business would resume again in the morning. And they would try not to break anything. Um, interesting enough, there is a gun store in the mall, which is never named in Dawn of the Dead, but there is no gun store in the mall itself, or there wasn't at the time. So they had to fake it using movie magic. <gasps> mm, they must have got that from the movie magic shop. Quickly, I want to mention the chocolate store at the very beginning of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where they get the golden ticket. I love that shop. It Can like, I just say that I was going, uh, because you mentioned chocolate and not Willy. Or Wonka. But no, it's this really old-fashioned chocolate shop, like Sweet Shop, which which I love. I want to mention the druggists in It's Wonderful Life. Uh-huh. I know something yes. sad happens there, but I've always liked that old-fashioned American thing where you have the little stools and you get your sodas, but it's also a pharmacist, but also kind of just like a place where you buy chocolate and stuff and... Yeah, it's a kind of an Americana thing. Um, I love it there. It's pretty cool. Just speaking of chocolate, uh, Chocolat, that store is looking pretty incredible. I think my favourite store, I've just realised, in pop culture in general is the, the chocolate store. I don't know which episode of Simpsons it is, but it's the one where Homer has a dream he lives in a land of chocolate. And he runs through the, you know the joke where he runs through the land and he's biting bits of chocolate off everything then he gets to this this chocolate store that's made entirely of chocolate and it says 50% off. He basically goes, mmm, half-price chocolate. <laughs> it's one of my favourite jokes. Oh my God, I love it. Again, we're not being definitive here. This is all off the top of our heads. So if you do have anything you think we've missed out, then do send them in. Let's move on then to this question from at Sean1neo, who says, if you had a British-only Expendables team, who would you have? Scott Atkins, Scott Atkins, Scott... <laughs> Scott, Scott Atkins. Scott, Scott Atkins, yes. Hi, hi Scott. Scott Adkins and no one else. He doesn't need anyone else. He can take on the I'm bad calling guys. the movie The Expendable. <laughs> Brackets UK. We may only have days to pull this off, but I want to see all the Bonds getting together. I'm, I say days because uh, Sean Connery may not be British soon. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I have no idea where you're going with that. Oh. I was like, oh, Jesus, God. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare anyone. What a way to announce it. Yeah, no. Um, I, does that make sense? Yes. Uh, yes, it makes sense, yes. So, but but he'll still be Bond. Yeah, but he wouldn't be British. It says British only. It's very clear he would be Scottish. Which is yeah, but his Bond. I always thought his Bond was. Mm. No, but we're looking really for British actors. actors. British, actors. British actors. British actors. Yeah. Oh my god. All right. And actually, if, if, actually, if there's... genuinely, if genuinely, if you don't have the Scottish hard men in in the pool for this, that really does narrow the options. Jerry Butler. Yep. yep. Out. Alan Hansen gone. <laughs> He's out. Suness gone. Rapsi Nesbit. Rapsi Nesbit. It's a tough one. It is. Tough. So um, you I've know, got, I've we, got a team. So we've we got Statham in the bag. Statham, Statham staying. Statham yep, staying. Asley Christmas. Yeah. Or is his brother Tree Christmas? Tree Christmas. I like it. Well, I think all the the American Expendables get kidnapped, and Lee Christmas has to get on a a, a flight to England and. Recruit the Brit Spend- Brit Pendables, so he goes straight to Ben Kingsley. Yeah, he doesn't call him Sir, 
Oh. And there's a fight. So that's the first action scene. <gasps> okay. Oh my God. Uh, I about this. But it's fine. They shake hands and yeah. they go to Anthony Hopkins. Oh, Anthony right. Hopkins. Michael Caine. Michael mm-hmm. Caine. And I've run out of here, so I said Creepy Paddington. Creepy Paddington. <laughs> oh, Ray know. Winston. <laughs> Ray Winston. Who's Jonesy! I can do them all. That's a pretty tough, tough group of right. fellas. Yeah. Stifey! <laughs> Right, okay, you gotta no have far. Yeah, you gotta have Big Driss. <laughs> no one calls him Big Driss. You gotta have Big Driss. I would love you to interview him and call him Big Driss. <laughs> to his face. Dristopher. <laughs> <laughs> From one Driss to another. Ooh. Big okay. Driss. Driss uh, Idris Elba. That's legitimate. Uh, that's Christopher legitimate. Eccleston, maybe? No. No. Get out. He's Get- tough. He wore a leather jacket as Doctor Who. He wore a leather jacket. <laughs> I've worn a leather jacket. No, you haven't. Yeah, it did. Really? Yeah. You could have all the who's. You could have all the who's. Uh, um, except David Tennant Scottish, he might not be British. So. Uh, yeah, it, we don't get political here on the Empire Podcast, but <laughs> please vote no to independence, please, Scotland, because we don't want to lose you from the Expendables team. How about Richard Armitage? He's very tall and broad. He could do it. Richard Armitage. He's very tall and broad. Well, you have to have Luke Evans in there as well, wouldn't you? Because yes. he's from Wales. It's a Welsh accent, and isn't it's, it? It's very close to Anthony Hopkins. Where oh, he grew bloody up. Anthony Hopkins! <laughs> what about? Uh, I think Anthony. Uh, Anthony. I think Andy Circus would make a good sapper. <gasps> yeah. Oh yeah. Christian Bale, Henry Cavill. All these people are British. I'm, I'm throwing in Ish. Sean Harris because he's terrifying. Yes. <laughs> he's. He's. I've not met him, but but I'm scared of him. I'm yes. constantly looking over my shoulder. Yes, in case he's there. He's an amazing actor, but he, yes, he, he really is. is. He's utterly terrifying uh, in the nicest possible so he, way. He could kind of be the, the the you know the Gunner Jensen, the team. Yeah, the slightly frightening one. That's a great idea. We can't have an Expendables team without our new spirit animal, topless Dan Stevens. He has to be in there, uh, and he has to lose his shirt. I think he could beat off quite a few of his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> just really get in there and just do what needs to be done. Yep. Absolutely, set about them, have at them, get to grips with them. He's a hands-on fighter. He really is. Um, you've got to have Simon Pegg in there for comedy relief, haven't you? And also the man has shown in the past he can handle the action. He can. You know, he can do the two guns thing and all sorts. And Nick Frost was pretty formidable in uh, in World's End. So. All right, so this Expendables team, this British Expendables team, is roughly 17 strong at the moment. And we sure. haven't even mentioned Daniel Day-Lewis? <sighs> Irish. Technically speaking, oh, I would suggest Jason Fleming. Yes, I would second that. Jay Flem is amazing. Idris, D Fletch, sure. C Hughes, D Lewis, Pump Action Milkshake, (laughs) Pump Action Milkshake. If you have milkshakes, he will drink them. If Daniel Day Lewis were a wrestler for the WWE, I think his move would be dropping the milkshake. (laughs) Which means taking someone about the head with a bowling pin. (laughs) Anyway, as you were. That's a All separate right. question. Do someone email in and say, if Hollywood stars were wrestlers, what would they be called and what their special move would oh, be? Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great question. Yes, yeah, please do that for next week. Let's, let's bring this sorry mess to an end. If you want to send us in any questions, and why would you after that, do please send them in via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we are on email email can you believe it podcast at empireonline.com is the address 
Time now for our first interview. George Mackay is a fine young British actor who was nominated this year for the EE Rising Star Award at the BAFTAs. Proof that he's come a long way in a short time with fine performances in the likes of For Lowe's in Peril, How We Live Now and Sunshine on Leith. All those films, two of which saw him sport very convincing Scottish accents, were released on the same day last year, which is where I started when he came into the pod booth this week to talk about his excellent new film Pride, in which he plays a young gay man helping to support the miners' strike in Wales with bloody Luke Evans and Anthony Hopkins. No. But no? Okay, back in 1984. (laughs) You went Jamaican. I don't know why. Okay. Okay. He's Scottish Jamaican. The Welsh accent is so bloody hard to keep up, isn't it? It's like Locke got very drunk and drove into a tree. (laughs) Tom Hardy! How is he not on the British Expendables? Tom Hardy, we're fools. Oh... <laughs> no, don't even. How can you not put me in the expendables? <laughs> Why is he Welsh? <laughs> Here's George Mackay. We're delighted to be joined at the Empire Pod booth by George Mackay, uh, star of Pride. Fantastic film. Thank you. Welcome, sir. How are you? you yeah, I'm, good? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. So it is Mackay, it's not McKay, it's not Mackay, it's, it's nothing like that, but you must get that all the time. Yeah, it's it's not it's not too much of an issue. It, it's Mackay, yeah. But, okay. Um, yeah, okay. from the Scottish Mackay. From the Scottish Mackay, because, of course, you've, you've been playing Scots now for yeah, quite a while. Yeah, I've been faking Scottish for, for a while. Yeah. But yeah, it's from Clan Mackay. We've got a tartan and everything. Really? Yeah. Do you wear kilts? I've worn a kilt in the tartan. Yeah. Okay. And how'd that work out for you? Did you go the full the full Scot? We weren't full Scots. We, oh, okay. me, and myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Scottish we went. Fair enough. And the burning question of the day is obviously yes or no. Yes. <laughs> Scottish independence. Oh, um, I think. Uh, I've got here we go about the kind of we'll probably talk later on about because of pride I think we should be more political and I'm umming and iron over this I reckon <laughs> yes I reckon national identity is a really positive thing you think? I think so I don't know enough about the business to <laughs> kind of the business side of things to uh, comment on it but my best mate is very um, for yes so I think yeah. I should back him up because he's got a stronger opinion that, than I do fair enough if we can get him in here we can have an argument going on that, that'd be nice but uh, yeah. that'd be good I'm just I'm just uh, annoyed about having to use my passport every time I go to Glasgow that's that's if that if it, that's indeed what's going to happen but oh, well, if knows. that's if that's all it comes down to yeah. I think I, I don't know I'll try and, I've got a fake Scottish passport that I keep anyways <laughs> yeah, but I've and drawn I, myself and if uh, worse comes to worst, you can always blend in as well. You can rely on the Scottish accent. You can, you can, you can bring it out in times of trouble. In times blend of in, trouble, blend disappear. In. Yeah, <laughs> go incognito <laughs> in the foreign country. That way, that way, if they go independent, I'll speak a foreign language. Absolutely. So, which I don't now. Absolutely. How tricky are Scottish accents to to master? I, d- I didn't find it too, but I, I had some uh, sessions with a, a dialect coach before for those in peril, which is the first mm. time first time I did it, and uh, I I didn't find it too too bad really it was one of those ones that kind of once you got into the rhythm of it it's very it's kind of very rhythmic um so it was sort of once once you're in there it's mm. it's it's grand um so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't too bad really i think one thing i didn't realize was how much the scottish accent changes for such a small country the various accents within it you know yeah, i was kind yeah. of quite naive about that because i kind of think it's great how in england we've got you know London and, and Scouse and Brummy and you know all the different types of accent or Bristol you know um, where it, and and it's the same in in Scotland it's it's tiny but you know you go different you go coast to coast city to city and it does change mm. um, 
But no, it, was, it wasn't too bad to get a grasp of. And there is some Scots in me way back when. So, <laughs> <laughs> Have you done the uh, the who, who do you think you are thing? Have you done the family tree, tracing your way yourself all the way back to... To William Wallace himself. Yeah. yeah. William, oh, um, as it turns out, I'm a descendant of William Wallace. <laughs> yeah, Mel Gibson's great, 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 great <laughs> grandchild. Um, uh, no, I, have, I haven't yet, but, uh, but I should do. I think it'd be interesting. My dad's Australian, so mm. I'd be interested to see kind of where that journey went and I think well, there's a bit of Irish in my grandma so I think it'd be interesting to see how they all got so far away and came back again We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Pride in, in, in a second as well but the last time we spoke was for uh, Empire Magazine itself mm-hmm. and it was just ahead of what we had dubbed George Mackay Day or George Mackay Day, no I'm doing it again, I'm doing it again That's right. George Mackay Day But it's got more of a ring to um, the day It does doesn't it, um, George Mackay Day uh, which was October 4th of last year when you were in three <laughs> films that were coming out on the same day yeah. So it was for Lose in Peril, How I Live Now, and uh, Sunshine and Leith. Uh, and uh, what did you do on that day? Uh, I was I was working, I think. Um, yeah, I was. I, I was. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, I was working on Pride, <laughs> and so I didn't. I, I didn't really do too too much. I went. I went to work and had a nice had a nice day there. All right, nice so on Pride. So you didn't say, All right, okay, guys. Now we've wrapped. Who fancies a trip to the cinema? What do you would you like to watch? Yeah, we, could, I, we could go see me and this or me and this. Sat yeah, sat sat everyone down. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't didn't do, didn't do anything. <laughs> All right, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a game changing day for you. It wasn't a a thing that completely transformed your life. No, no, I'd <laughs> <laughs> be. Terrible if it was. <laughs> Can you imagine? But at, at that time, I actually hadn't seen uh, Sunshine and Leith, and uh, uh, just talking about the Scottish accent and, and whatnot, and things that you have to—I guess things you have to do in, in Pride as well. But I imagine the most nerve-wracking experience of your life must have been in Sunshine and Leith at that very, very end, where you do the musical number in front of what seemed like hundreds of extras. Yeah, yeah. There what was, was that like? It was. It was really exciting. It was very nerve-wracking, but it was. Um, yeah, it was really everyone. There was such a positive vibe. Dexter is so like his energy is 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 wonderful. Like it's really really infectious, and he just he sort of sets the bar for everyone of of this positive energy and this excitement around set. And and he was just as ever as Dexter is on on that day. And it just kind of it was lovely as a coming together because we actually. Um, I think I can say this, yeah. But mm. we actually we, we we went back and redid it. We had an, a smaller ending, and then they said, "No, I think we need this big lift at the end. This kind mm. of payoff." And so it was a kind of coming together, having been away for a little bit as well. Um, so it was just really exciting, and I think everyone had this. And we had two glorious days in you know, which again, the weather was perfect. Everything was kind of seeming like it was coming together, and it was just there was such a positive vibe that it was just really exciting to be to be doing it really. Mm. Of, of course it's kind of very nerve wracking <laughs> like singing or kind of you know having the song you know in your voice played out but everyone was so kind of supportive and, and excited to be there and involved that it was you know we, we were just one of the many people that was there it mm. didn't feel like it was kind of us performing to these people it just felt like we were one of the 400 people all dancing in the square yeah um, which we were but, but are you tentative at first when you're in your first take maybe just not quite Quite. Giving it your all a little bit, holding yourself back a little bit, or is it very much right from the off? You're just into it. Oh, I think I think it's one of those things that through the, through the experience of doing Su- Sunshine and Earth, which was really, really helpful and um, and enlightening, was it's one of those things that if you don't if you don't go for it, singing and dancing, hmm. it's really bad. 
unless you're really good, which I'm not. You <laughs> you can't you can't really not do, go for it completely because then you then it's just sort of falls in between. Yeah. And um and it's no and it's no good. Mm. So it was it was kind of a case of I you know I'm saying all this and I'm sure the first the difference between the first and the last take we would have really been kind of go and go because we kind of had it in our you yeah. know had it in in your bones a bit more and. Um, but no, I think we kind of everyone was everyone just went for it. And watching the other dancers, the dancers were amazing. I remember going over that. You know, it's quite a simple routine, um, but I was going over it and over it and over it, trying to get it in my head. Where you know, they um, Arthur, the choreographer, would kind of be like, when we did it a couple of days before, we'd be like, okay, so it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and all the dancers were like, okay, boom, 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 and I was there like two three go back to the beginning a bit um so it was it was just inspiring watching watching all of them and what's great about them is and the way that they move is that they you know they really go for it yeah. every every time so it's like right well if that's again it's kind of that's the bar was set you know? and uh, and at that time as you, as you said the last time we spoke you were just you were working on pride and uh, i don't think you think it had been announced yet you were you were you, you were telling me how excited you were to be working on this, but mm. really I didn't know that much about the movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a fantastic film. It's 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 great. Uh, you know, obviously about the uh, uh, the lesbian and gay uh, support group that supported the miners uh, during the miners' strike back in the in the eighties uh, when you weren't alive. No. So <laughs> yeah, yeah <it> was <laughs> but a twinkle in the yeah, eye. <laughs> absolutely. So um, how how did you uh, go about finding about this stuff? Did you, did you know already? I mean, the miners' strike is something that's that's legendary. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you aware of it already, or had you to do a lot of research when you, when this came up? No, I, I knew a level of context. Um, yeah. And but I didn't know the story itself, and that was what was so uh, wonderful and, and exciting about it, which was. Which is, I mean, there's a sadness that it's not not been told before, mm. and it's kind of lovely that we get to share it now, <laughs> and you know, get to be part of it. But it's, um, it was just really it, wonderful um, to 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 learn this story and to kind of be inspired by what these people did. And I think what's lovely about it is it's not just a story about the politics of '84 and of gay rights. Mm. That's predominantly what it's about. But truly, kind of at the heart of it, it's a film about community mm. and about a bond as, as humans and that transcending what what you know the troubles that that you face really and uh, and kind of transcending surface level you know boundaries that we put out for ourselves and that we are just people at the end of the day mm. and that is kind of such a simple message but that that kind of message of kindness is is so applicable to everything mm. and um and it was really, really lovely to to be part of a story that that hadn't been, that is true and hadn't been told before, and tells it so wonderfully. Oh, it, it is a true story, and a lot of the characters in the in the uh, in the film uh, did exist. Are uh, many of them still alive uh, to this day? Except your character, Joe. Yeah. AKA Bromley. AKA Bromley. No Scottish accent in this one. No, 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 no. <laughs> just the just the Bromley one. Um, I th- uh, yeah, I think he was. Uh, Joe's fictional and I think he's an amalgamation of a number of different people's stories um uh, I mean Stephen did a lot of research and um I think that the Joe's purpose within it though is what Stephen uh, sorry Stephen, Stephen Beresford, Beresford who yeah. who wrote it um and was and was very present on set all of the time which was really helpful and um and he's he's an, an amazing writer and a really wonderful man so it was just great to have him there all of the time and uh, but I think the reason he he put Joe in the story is 
to kind of give the audience an outsider to go in with, mm. really, because Joe's the only one that enters enters this story completely outside of a community to begin with. You know, he's he's not on one side or the other, and um, and he enters into that world and discovers it as we do. Mm. Um, and I think it's it was a really a clever storytelling. Um, I don't know what the word is, technique or it was a really kind of storytelling device to have someone like that and uh and it was just what and it's wonderful because it gives the character a really special journey as well mm. um and so it was yeah it was a joy to to play yeah because he starts off very timid within himself within his own sexuality as well and mm. then by the end he's fully embraced that side after after well not to give too much away but yeah <laughs> you know but there, there is certainly a, a real growth there for the character yeah completely completely i think it's it's about someone who I mean, in, in Joe's case, who, yeah, isn't comfortable with... I think he knows who he is in himself, but he hasn't accepted it, and therefore he uses the his friendship and the political cause and the, the identity uh, and that kind of movement and and what they're and what they're they're doing and that fight is a kind of shield at first almost, and that's what that was what was interesting as well. It's it's not just someone who's like right, I know who I am. It's that someone who has found something that they can, in a way, kind of hide behind. Mm. at first and because that's you know without giving too much away you know you're out and proud and at these marches and kind of fighting kind of on the front line as a gay man and then you go home and you know you pretend that you're not to your parents or mm. uh, you know he's it, it's kind of he's kind of got two two acceptances in a way mm. um before he fully commits um and you know to to who he is and dis- and discovers that and is comfortable within that so it's yeah it's a really lovely Really lovely journey. Mm. It, it, it's a it's a it's a gorgeous movie. It's really heartwarming and fun and and moving and and, and profound in many ways. And uh, it, it's got such a great cast. Yeah, I imagine this one of those uh, one of those things that you know, recalls that sort of tired analogy about the tennis game, where you know if you're playing tennis against someone who's really really good, you raise your game. I don't. I get obliterated. But uh, as a, <laughs> as an actor. What's it like when you're when you're on screen with the likes of Paddy Considine and and Bill Nye, and it must make you step up the plate, I guess. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's just wonderful to to be around you know around those people mm. who and 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 watch them. They're just kind of all great craftsmen, mm. right? and and kind of you just you can't help but pick up. And no one ever that was it was lovely as well because no one sort of rams it kind of down your throat or or anything and it's and you also get to know them what's what's a real privilege as well as you get to know them as you know as Paddy and Bill and Imelda and kind of you don't, mm. you, don't you don't you know you spend the first day kind of calling everyone by their full name to yourself <laughs> you know and um but but and they, and it's kind of no one sat you down and went well whatever what I do is but you just you just watch these people and kind of learn by osmosis really and and work you know people like um uh, Imelda was She's so. Um, what was uh, what was amazing is I remember one time in particular we were doing a scene where the two um, groups come together mm. um, before before the ballroom and it was um, before the um, pits and perverts ball, and it was at the end of the day and we didn't have much time to shoot the scene and so they were like cool we'll quickly rehearse it and we all ran together and kind of did lots of hugging and kissing and greeting each other, and um, and she, she and she's and she's um, went oh hold on hold on you know we've got to remember to greet each other as the characters. And it was such a simple thing, but you know, you kind of sometimes forget. You're like, yeah, I'm wearing the clothes. I'm here. You know, this is the last kind of scene of the day, and and you sometimes forget to 
to be the person and to tell the story as it should be told rather than just kind of people you know kissing three times on the cheek and kind of like <laughs> that, you know as how would how would i greet how would joe greet and, yeah yeah and how would hafina greet people and yeah and uh it's just kind of little things little things like that that you realize these people through their experience and being so good at what they do they're just mm. always on point like that and that was really special to be around that kind of it was a constant reminder um, mm. so you so yeah uh what's next for you Coming out, there's hopefully uh, later this year. I'm not. Sh- there's a film that premiered at Venice called Bypass, which mm-hmm. is directed by Dwayne Hopkins. Which again, which again he's a, he's a very um, he was a wonderful director. He did a film, um, Better Things, was his first feature, and uh, I had a really special time working with him. Mm. And um, I'm yet to, I'm yet to see the film, but uh, his I mean from the experience of working with him and his aesthetic and kind of use of sound and storytelling in Better Things and the way. You know what he values as uh, as a filmmaker and as a person as well. I'm you know very excited to see how that does. And sadly, I couldn't be there when for the screening at Venice, but mm. it's going to be at the London Film Festival. Oh, cool. Um, so there's there's Bypass, um, and I've just finished a film called Captain Fantastic with um, Viggo Mortensen, and that was directed by a director called Matt Ross, um, who's an American director, mm. and it's it's a really really wonderful script that Matt's written. And it was a real, you know, it was a real joy to work with. It was a very young cast. For most of it. It's about this family who um, uh, who make this journey down the west coast of America, and um, and to work with Vigo was really special. And, and yeah, and we've literally just wrapped that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. And hopefully that will be coming out next year. I'm not too sure what the, what the plan is with that. So it's it's not a Marvel movie. No, there's, it's an ironic title. Yeah. Okay. There's there's no. Um, Superpowers involved per se. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe that all come for you. Who knows? I yeah, I don't know. Well, you see, yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, that that be that'd be grand. Maybe some spandex and some metal armor or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would that would be interesting. I think it would be that would be a good a good look. I've been working on some costumes, just <laughs> oh, really? piecing, piecing just, together, <laughs> just sketching some stuff down, <laughs> just sketching, yeah, just, just wearing them around, just working different different <laughs> superheroes. Creating, I don't know enough kind of super Marvel superheroes myself to kind of, I've taken it upon myself to create a superhero. Just yeah, just do it yourself. Yeah, the McKinley yeah. verse. The McKinley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wears a kilt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has he's a Scot- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a superhero, and he has a Scottish passport. Yeah, he's Whether authentic. He needs it Scottish. or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. George McKay, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for cool. coming. Thank you very Thank much. You. Cheers. George McKay there, uh, not McKay as I called him throughout the interview. Sorry about that. Apologies to George. Uh, one of those weird things where someone you ask someone before an interview you go. How do you pronounce your name? Is it Mackay or McKay? And he goes, it's Mackay. Uh, I go, great, please welcome George McKay. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? Anyway, so he's a lo- you, lovely guy. How do you pronounce your name, Michael Jackson? Uh, it's Michael Jackson. Okay, here's Michael Jackie. <laughs> here's Big Driss. <laughs> On the turntables. It's Jack Attack. I believe that's a DJ name. Right, movie news? Yes. Shall we? Uh, I thought I'd start things off with a break from tradition and we'd talk oh, about Marvel. Did, did you? Oh, Marvel, is it? Okay, fine. Yep. Okay. So, better do it then. I guess. Guess that's not a bad idea. I, okay. I don't. I don't know whether anybody wants to stop me. Basically, Robert Downey Jr. Right, <laughs> famous guy. Uh, he's he's got a beard. Sometimes he looks good in a suit. He can get worth wearing shades that are slightly tinted with different <laughs> colours. I mean, <laughs> I does it does remind me of the question that I do often want to ask him, and and we've we've thought about asking this to him before, which is, what is he like? I mean, what is he like? What you like? What you like? You like. 
Robert Downey Jr., he says that Iron Man 4, and this is a new story, I promise you, is not in the works. Now, this is of note because Iron Man 3 made big money. It did. Also, Avengers made big money, and I'm sure Avengers 2 would make also big money. But it seems that even though there were lots and lots of dates that have been plucked out and, and, and stamped on and had flags put in them for the Marvel calendar in the upcoming few years, Iron Man 4 is not one of them. I feel like this is a good idea. Yeah. And I have reasons. And the reasons are, it's a nice trilogy that works well together. We're yet to see what's going to happen with Avengers 2. And I think it may even just be of benef- a benefit to let that character be for a while and revisit him when you know more things have happened in that universe. I also want to see what happens if Chris Pratt's plan for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has him his character Iron Man obviously Tony Stark get shot on the head point blank uh, whilst he's sitting down reading a book by a swimming pool because apparently uh, Tony Stark had been hitting on Gamora so uh, I want to see that happen maybe in a credit sting that no one sees coming this is one of those weird stories that's, uh, that has become a news story this week even though we kind of already knew it there was there were lots of stories getting very excited about the fact that Millennium Falcon will be in Star Wars Episode 7 well we already knew that it tried to kill Han Solo for God's sake kind of weird but Let's take it aside. We know that his contract ran out, Donnie Jr.'s contract ran out with Iron Man 3. Uh, we know that he signed off for two more movies, and those would be two more Avengers movies. So we know that he hasn't signed on for any more Iron Man movies as Tony Stark. So it's a bit strange. I think this is coming, I guess, from a direct quote from him. Uh, he's been doing interviews for The Judge. So I guess someone asked him, and he said, oh, it's not the works. So I, I guess you can see the, the spin of it. But this for me isn't really music I guess it's interesting that Marvel aren't following the money aren't just going oh Iron Man 3 broke a billion so here's Iron Man 4 5 and 6 that uh, they are not deviating from their plan and they did the same with the Hulk when the Hulk was amazing in Avengers they didn't just go here's a Hulk movie they, you know, they, they've stuck to their guns and uh, I think for fair play to them more power to their elbow mm. there was a little bit more Marvel news this week but more for TV mm. um, first came rumours and then came uh, an image or reports and then an image that uh, Agent Carter Agent Peggy Carter played by Hayley Atwell would be appearing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, next season and indeed the image does show her with some of the howling commandos who previously worked with Cap in the first Dum Dum Duggins in the picture it's great Dum Dum Duggins great and Gabe Jones who is of course the grandfather of one of the the kind of the new core shield agents Um, so we're going to see them I guess it's going to have to be some kind of flashback or some kind of mini episode setting up something that the shield then encounters in the modern day uh, in the main series because we, you know she's not in old age makeup or anything mm. but it does look like that's going to be a nice way to just introduce people who maybe aren't already incredibly excited um, to the fact that uh, Agent Carter is getting her own series and it's going to be awesome I would love it if they do actually go back in time that would be awesome <laughs> because there is and I don't want to spoil the first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for you a flying car uh, which made people set their eyebrows to raise brows uh, when that first came out but if they're doing that then why not a bit the old time travel uh, talk of Captain America recalls the bookstore the book the bookstore ah <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> the, the bookstore you like the bookstore from the first movie which is also a bookstore but then has a big secret underground lab underneath it so uh, to speak cool. the movie shops we like to visit also the uh, the owner is a machine gun toting badass and it brings us back to Richard Armitage being quite terrifying yes uh, and he is uh, also in the Brit Spendables Exactly. Yeah. The Tying UK spendables? The, the UKIP spendables? No. 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 <laughs> no. No. Too far edge. Um, right. 
Anything else? Uh, Terminator Genesis. Ice. Genesis. 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 Oh, Genesis. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've got it spelt wrong here. Uh, it's got a Y in it. Sorry, I'll, um, I'll change that when we get back to Instagram. Thanks, thanks, Alan. Yes, uh, it hasn't arrived yet, but mm. presumably uh, it has come out in the future and they've used time travel to come back. <laughs> and Greenlight must have been a huge hit because they've greenlit two more. Um, two more badly spelled sequels. We don't know at this point if they're going to be more typos, uh, but they're coming out and in uh, 2017 and 2018. How are they spelling sequel, by the way? Um, <laughs> it's got a U in it. Presumably, presumably the next two would be Exodus and Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus and... Exodus. Exodice. Exodice. With four X's. They're, yeah. f- they're filming back-to-back in case you're wondering how they were doing 2017 and 2018. So... That's confident. It's very confident. It's very confident. Uh, or is this just one of those ones where... <laughs> I swear they release new stories. For example, this week it was announced that they found a new writer for 23 Jump Street... And if you've watched 22 Jump Street, they kind of take the mick out of the idea of them being being sequelized yet yeah. again. They want to, at the end, you know, you have this joke where Ice Cube goes, you're off to medical school. So that might be funny. But I would love it if they do run through every single one of those sequels we saw. Yeah. And we find out that that montage was not a comedy montage. It's that the was real. genuine pictures yeah, of all Je- of those films. <laughs> Channing Tatum gets they swapped out by uh, Seth Rogen like yeah. 10 episodes in. But um, I swear that they released this news that they had in their news bag for ages because it's on iTunes now. You can get 22 Jump Street on iTunes now. So they released this to either as is the case I think with Terminator Genesis by the way this film still exists don't forget please hi uh, because this is news just so you're still thinking about it it may be I mean it, it is also sometimes helpful to you know combat any bad press and, and reassure people that this is going to be awesome to greenlight a sequel before the film comes out and of course they did greenlight if I remember correctly the sequel to Green Lantern before yes. that came out and they that did. has yet to materialise they keep talking so we're about still it. waiting desperately I know bring it on bring when it will on. it happen yeah, yeah. I don't know how to. I mean, it's it's a bit of an unknown quantity. This I, I've heard some bad word coming out about you know the production running over and mm. them having some troubles. I don't know how much of that's true, but um, they haven't really. There hasn't been a trailer yet, so it's a bit of an unknown quantity. Well, there's a, there's another uh, facet to the story, another side to the story as well, which explains why they're uh, hoping to shoot back to back if it goes ahead and hoping to release two sequels. Uh, back to back. Apparently, the rights to the Terminator franchise referred to James Cameron in 2019. What? No matter what. No matter what. Even if. Are you kidding? I thought it was that if they carried on like the Marvel no. rules, that if no. you carry on using it. No. Definitive well. referred date. Wow. Of 2019. So basically, they're making hay while the sun shines. So Avatar 3 could have a Terminator in it. No, it could. <laughs> is, this, is this what we're saying? Avatar 3 could this is have happening. a Terminator. This is happening, guys. Uh, uh, Avatar 6 could have a Terminator in it, if he so desired. Uh, but not Avatar 3. I'm writing up the new story. But go for it, go for it. That's, you know, might as well. Might as well say that. But that's, that, that's, my, uh, that's, that's the understanding anyway, that the rights go back to him. And therefore, they have to get these Terminator movies made as quickly as possible. I'm very intrigued by these, these new Terminator films. So just very curious to see what Arnie looks like. Mm. We know he's got grey hair because he tweeted that picture, didn't he, of, but from, from behind of his Terminator mm. or whatever it is that he's playing. I'm sure he's playing a well, Terminator. The Terminators do age. You know, they, yeah. they do get old. Um, That's interesting. That's an idea that we haven't really explored, I guess. Mm. Um, 
And it's cool casting. I mean, uh, Clark's Jason and Amelia are both pretty cool. So I'm interested to see them playing Connors, John mm. and Sarah. And there's also this rumour, isn't there, Scuttlebutt, that the movie will do a Back to the Future 2 and somehow take place within the events of the first movie. Now, does that mean they're going to reshoot, effectively, scenes from the first movie, but swap out Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean and put in Jai Courtney and Amelia Clark? as you know, Kyle Reese and, and Sarah Connor, or are they going to incorporate footage from the original movie and just hope that you don't notice they don't look anything like each other? Yeah, how's it no, going to work? Have, they have they have to reshoot it. Presumably. They must reshoot. They don't it, look yeah. anything alike. So it's a, it's very interesting. My, but I was thinking about this the other day because we were talking about how awesome Terminator and Terminator Two are, and of course one of the, the major reasons for that is because they were both R rated and they were both no holds barred. And whereas Terminator Salvation and and T three, I think T three was a was a PG thirteen. Um, they pulled their punches and for me that just dilutes the Terminator brand and you you would imagine that these movies will be PG-13 as well mm. which mm. might be a slight word well we'll see how it goes but you know every day is Christmas Eve at Empire uh, there was also news this week there was a, another sort of uh, feed in the drip feed of images from Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice um, which is a better look at the Batmobile. There were some leaked images from the set uh, and Zack Snyder has responded by releasing a much, much better picture of his own, showing the front of the vehicle uh, m- much more clearly than we saw it previously. Um, and it is the most, I think, aggressive-looking Batmobile maybe yet, uh, just in terms of the, f- the front. It has swivel guns on there. It has more fins than the Blue Planet uh, episode where they had all those sharks. Remember, there were a lot of sharks, but okay. there are more fins on the new Batmobile. Uh, so it's it's pretty aggressive looking, and it, you know I think people who love the Tumbler are going to love it. It's, it it does have a tumbleriness to it, um, and also looks like a bitch to parallel park. It does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It looks like someone remembered the Bur- the Burton Batmobile, the Anton first design Batmobile, and the Tumbler. Yeah, and then went away on a holiday and kind of forgot what they looked like but had a vague idea and then just smushed them together using yeah. Lego looks interesting it looks like the sort of thing you wouldn't mess with you definitely wouldn't mess kind of robocopy guns at the front mm. I think I think generally if you, if you and that car were both going for the same parking space huh. I think you'd back off and let it in I also think you have too big a car well yeah it's too big a car I mean if you're going for the same space yeah Oh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even... I mean, in London, you can't. No. There's no... Get a smaller car. Yeah. Use the tube. Absolutely. I wonder what the tax and insurance on that thing would be as well. Yeah. Where does he put his MOT um, symbol? But he does have indicators, so that's that's an encouraging safety sign. Good. Bat road safety is very, very important. Bat mirror, bat signal, bat manoeuvre. It's all there. Uh, Yeah, well, you know... We'll see it in action. We'll see it move, and it'll be it'll be it'll be awesome. I'll go broom and kill things. It will. Uh, I also dread. Apparently, there might be a prequel coming, but there's no. Yeah, there's there's no further word. I think uh, Carl Urban was talking at Chicago Comic Con and said it's a definite possibility, but that they're now talking about a prequel rather than a direct sequel. So it would be more uh, setting up the world of Dread, uh, with Dread leaving Mega City One and trekking through the cursed Earth, which is essentially the radioactive wasteland that makes up most of the planet's surface in the Dread universe. Um, and he'd be looking for the first Chief Judge Fargo, who was the sort of the, the guy who set up the the system of judges uh, who I think I think dreads a clone of Fargo wasn't he if I remember my lore correctly um 
So yeah, so that would be the setup. I mean, it it is something that Alex Garland mentioned uh, a while ago, where he he sort of talked about. Uh, you could do a, set, a second film, which is all about the city and the law and where it comes from, and Judge Fargo and the pro-democracy terrorists and dread struggle with the state that he's part of. Um, so it is something he mentioned. He didn't explicitly say sequel, uh, prequel at that point, mm. but he did kind of talk about it. And then his plan for a third story at that point was you could bring in this crazy existential force that attacks the city in the form of the dark judges, which would, of course, be Judge Death, etc., who are massively popular and who would... Um, who, you know, 21% of our readers would prefer to see him immediately, but 72% are quite on board for this one. So, uh, so yeah, sounds like a plan. Uh, but there's obviously no word yet on anything approaching a green light or a start production or anything else. So the kick for uh, the kick farter, <laughs> the Kickstarter starts <laughs> farting now. Adam Sandler movie coming 2017. I would oh genuinely God. watch a movie. Uh, I'd obviously I'd watch Kick Puncher, yeah. but then I'd like to see Kick Puncher two. Kick farter. Kick farter is my new favorite film. Yeah. That would be truly amazing. Uh, we will round off this week's movie news uh, with the very, very sad news that uh, Richard Keel, the actor who played Jaws, one of the greatest Bond villains of all time, uh, passed away the night before we recorded this podcast. He was 74 years old. Uh, Nick is someone who, like me, sat through every Bond movie in a row. What's your take on Richard Keel? Amazing. Best, Good. best henchman ever, I'd say. Um, he he first appeared in The Spy Who Loved Me um, and then he, he popped back by popular demand in Moonraker mm. and I don't know he's just one of those amazing iconic movie characters that skydiving scene I had to watch this morning <laughs> where so he's, he's pursuing him and he was just completely unkillable on screen but you just grew to love this guy um, and he got his own love interest which was very sweet mm-hmm. don't know just uh, just one of the real highlights of the Roger Moore years for me it was interesting how they changed his character, how he was com- he was truly evil and a nasty bastard uh, in um, in The Spy Who Loved Me, and then effectively became comic relief, I guess, in Moonraker, but but great comic relief, and then, uh, you know, as you say, got his own love interest and became Bond's ally at the end of that movie as well. And I read today that there, was actually, there were actually plans at one point to bring him back in For Your Eyes Only, where he would marry Dolly, the... Uh, the lady he hooks up with at the end of Moonraker because they do survive. You think at the end of Moonraker that they they're they're going to die, but they're, they they do survive, and um, and that w- they would have been married, and that, that you know that would have been interesting. But then they went in the more serious direction before you guys only. So they just yeah, it, it, bring it, back. it opens with him walking up to his ex-wife's gravestone, and yeah, I mean as well as you know throwing somebody who looks a lot like a bald villain <laughs> down what looks like a very big chimney. Yeah, I've always. I actually thought he was genuinely. When I first watched it as a, as a young child, I thought he was genuinely quite frightening. Did, <laughs> did you think his teeth were real? Because I used to. Uh, yeah, I guess I would have. There's no reason why I wouldn't have. Yeah, I just remember finding it him very frightening. It's it's his hands, massive hands. There's a great yeah. photograph of Phil, um, the other brother to Semlin, who actually met him a couple of years ago, and uh, he used to always pose for his photos. Very amenable guy. Uh, by taking his gigantic hands and just clamping them around uh, his foes slash new best friend's heads. So this is a great photograph. If you check out Phil's Twitter feed, it's also on our Twitter feed, of him um, crushing his head, as Phil puts it, into the size of a Jaffa cake. He's amazing. He was a Terminator before the Terminator, and it's, it's one of those things. Like, you look at a Bond film, and I know, Helen, you're not, you're not pitching in this because, you know, you're... I, I remember him. I yeah. mean, I, I can't remember one Bond film from the next because they all blur into one besuited mess. But I do remember him. He, he absolutely stood out as a as a bad guy and then as a, a slightly better guy. But what he was interesting uh, about Jaws as well was that 
there was a real sense of menace from him. There was a real sense that he could actually do harm to Bond and he could actually even kill Bond, especially in The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and, you know, truly iconic bad guy. And one of the bad guys I always used to play with on Goldeneye on the N64. But then I realized that you were best better off playing with... Uh, Odd job. Odd job, because he was smaller. He was smaller, he does less to hit. Yeah. Uh, the sad news about Richard Keel actually does bring us to our second guest this week. He is the man who fought, vanquished, and then befriended Jaws, as we've heard, over the course of two Bond movies in the 1970s. He's the legend, the icon, who is Sir Roger Moore. Uh, he's making his second appearance on the Empire podcast to talk about his new book, the poignantly titled Last Man Standing, which is a raucous collection of celebrity anecdotes. But Bond isn't really mentioned in the book. It's about Moore's other films about the rest of his career and so Nick and I took our cue from that and talked to Sir Roger about everything but 007 in a London hotel room recently. Enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to have back on the Empire podcast Roger Moore. Um, Why? Well, Why are you delighted? Because you are a legend, sir. A legend of what? Well, <laughs> of the screen. Legend, yes. Legend is actually spelled leg N. <laughs> I'm a leg end. You are a leg end, and not just of the screen, now of the printed page as well, because uh, you're back with a new book, Last Man Standing, which is fantastic. Nick and I loved it. It's it's hilarious. Thank you. It's a compendium of anecdotes, not all of which you were present for, no, no, um, no. which is very interesting. It's, it's quite a risque book. Really? I would say so. Well, the title they thought that I wanted to call it, they thought was too risque in England to, to go on bookshelves. Which, but they're very happy in America to use it, okay. which is one lucky bastard. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of bastards in England, <laughs> <laughs> including me. Uh, but uh, they said no on a, on the shafts. It would not be. It would not be accepted. Could they not just put an asterisk in the word bastard, or perhaps put a little little sign over the? Uh what over else the book? could you do with B dot yeah. dot 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 D? Bizarre. Buggered. Buck, one lucky buggered. <laughs> one lucky buggered. <laughs> That's a sequel. But you, you've crossed paths, Roger, with so many amazing people. And the mm. Frank Sinatra stories in the book are fantastic. But there's, there's this amazing picture in the book of you with Peter Sellers. And oh. he's trying to paint your toenails at Cubby oh. Broccoli's house. Can you give us any more context for that picture? Because it's just kind of there. <laughs> and it's brilliant. Well, Lord Lindley took it. Really? Snowden, yes. He took the photo? Yeah. Wow. Amazing. He and Peter Sellers, uh, they came up to Cubby's house, clowning around. Peter was taking pictures. And was that the sort of person Sellers was? He would just erupt and just end yeah, every he, joke. He, he was on yeah. uh, with an audience. Yeah. Were you and he great friends, in a way, Peter Sellers? Because you, you, you appeared, um, this is one of the things I've always wanted to know about you. You appeared at the end of Curse of the Pink Panther yeah. for a few seconds as Inspector Clouseau. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask one of about, my best performances. Uh, amazing, right. amazing. I, I wanted to ask about that. Was that was that uh, in a way something you wanted to do for your friend Peter? Well, no, I did it did it for money. Uh, <laughs> no, Blake Edwards and, and Julie Andrews, are, uh, neighbours. We live in yes. the same village, or we did in in Switzerland in Stad, okay. and. Um, I, it was r rather embarrassing for me in a way because Lynn uh, Frederick, the last Mrs. Sellers, mm. uh, was a friend and also Miranda Quarry, uh, a wife before before. Mm -hmm. and they, they, I remember, you know, they would be upset if 
I mean, with Lynn Frederick saying you wouldn't like anything uh, about Peter, you know, they, she t turned down various offers that were made for using pieces of it. And so I was highly embarrassed when Blake Edwards came to me and said, would I do this? Mm. And then, well, I realized, you know, that Blake knew Peter better than anybody, really. So in the end, it was not not done in any way as a, a tribute, mm. or I think it was just. A, and apart from that, there was uh, offered quite a lot of money, which is a key factor. <laughs> I can't uh, and I thought, well, yes, this is. I read the script, and it's practically on every page. And I thought, well, uh, it must be at least uh, two weeks' work. Uh, mm. Could be 14 days of that amount of money a day. But yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and what happened was we shot it all in one day, started at half past seven in the morning and finished half past ten at night. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely knackered and they, they kept cutting bits of it. So we'll have to go on. Oh my God. Did you, but, go and, did you get all the cash in the end? Did you get that? No, I just got one day's pay. One so day. it, it was X amount a day. I thought well, it was going to be a lot of money. Amazing. Uh, but uh, but I had a great fun doing. Joe Lumley was absolutely lovely, and it was enjoyable working with Blake. One of the uh, interesting things about the performance is that you were credited as Turk Thrust, Thrust the second. The second. Where yep. did that come from? Be because uh, my friend Brian Forbes, yes. who was in uh, another of the Peter Sellers films, uh, when Peter Sellers was in a nudist colony, oh, yes. and Brian took a credit as Turk Thrust. <laughs> so I, I thought I'll be Turk Thrust the second. <laughs> Michael Caine has quite a big presence in your book. He keeps popping up. Oh. Um, I recently saw Bullseye for the first time, which apparently the two of you have both said it was your Ishtar. Yeah, Michael said that. Right. Do Rush you agree? Is our Ishtar. <laughs> Do you agree with that? Well, no, nobody saw it. <laughs> there was not the build-up to uh, that uh, being exposed for public gaze that there was for the the original Ishtar with two gigantic Hollywood stars. Ishtar does not have a haggis bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we had a lot of laughs doing it, and I, I think I got rather fat because Winner uh, always found wonderful restaurants. He wouldn't have the location catering. That was all right for the crew. But for, for he and the stars, it was... On the, on the subject of Michael Caine, um, you're mentioned in his book, which I'm not sure whether you've read his autobiography, but he tells a story in it of you ringing him in a nervous state just before you were knighted, asking for his oh, advice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to hear that from your point of view. Uh, well, I think the nightmare I had when, when I was told... Uh, and you can't tell anybody except your wife. You can't even tell your children because you're not supposed to announce it. Mm. Uh, and the nightmare I had was how do I, how do I, with my rotten knees, I started practicing kneeling. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael said, don't worry, Rich, there'll be a, a rail that you can get hold of, which fortunately there was. <laughs> Okay, that's but, good. But I don't, I actually don't remember much of it except I know I sh I'm a coward. Yes. And I shut my eyes when the sword was being lowered. Yes. And 
Well, I don't, oh dear, I don't. well, usually at that point, that's when the stuntman comes in and does yeah, does that. No, but years before, I, w- I was actually hoping that Prince of Wales would actually perform because he he told me at Brian Forbes' house one night that he had been he had just done his first investiture and uh, that his mother and grandmother had shown him what to do. He said, "Because you know, grandmother." You have to go, you have to lift it, because if you go like that, you cut their heads off. <laughs> and I thought, it would be wonderful if he was doing it, like I said, don't cut my head off. <laughs> but you could, I couldn't say that to the Queen. <laughs> no, what a way to go, though. What yeah. a way to go. Yeah, yeah. That would get publicity, wouldn't it? <laughs> it certainly would. How to get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the, uh, the book is an incredible compendium of anecdotes. Now, as it's nearing publication, is there anything that's, that, that you left out? Anything that you're suddenly remembering that you'd like to have put back yeah, in? Yeah, there are a lot of things that, that are left out deliberately because it would be people are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering if there's a Michael Caine story. What is the Michael Caine story that you would tell if you were comparing a dinner in his honour? <laughs> He's not at the window. <laughs> you looked over your shoulder. My first meeting with Mike, I'd seen him in two plays on written by Johnny Spate on BBC. One was called Playmates, and I think yeah, was the compartment or something. Was, uh, he was on a train, and he was absolutely marvellous. Uh, uh, he impressed me a great deal. And I happened to be in Piccadilly, walking outside the then London Pavilion, and I saw he and Terence Stamp coming towards me. And I said, you're Michael Caine. And he apparently... <laughs> And said to Terry, so of course, it's fine, Roger Moore. Oh. <laughs> and I stopped him and I said, you're going to be a big star. Because, I, you know, I, I say that to all of them. <laughs> and then they'll, they'll remember me and give me a job. <laughs> but not Bullseye. <laughs> bullseye too. One of my favourite um, parts of the book is your story about the new Star Wars film. Mm. Apparently the kitchen... At yeah. Pinewood, it was yeah. off limits. Can you yeah. tell us this story? Well, b- because the, the, the suite of offices that Star Wars were taking up uh, closed off access to our toilet <laughs> where we could, you know, wash our cups and mm. sort of fill our teapots, <laughs> amongst other things. Uh, and that was sort of closed off access to that because Star Wars was being prepared in great secrecy. And it meant a long, long walk down to the Herbert's bathroom. Yes. It was too much. So I, I, I worked for J.J. Abrams uh, in uh, Alias. Mm-hmm. Or Elias, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> uh, in Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, so I worked to him. And of course, he opened up the doors. Amazing. So, did you? I promise not to look at the steel scripts. <laughs> did you have to get a pass then, a Star Wars pass? No, it was all. It was all under all underhand. Okay. Do you now know the full story of Star Wars? Do you oh, now know I the plot? Know what's going to happen? I knew that Harrison Ford was going to break his leg. <laughs> you had a inside information. Oh yeah, we, we arranged it. You know, it's good insurance money. They used to do that to me on Bond. I always reckoned that. I would I would get badly injured, so they get the insurance money, and I wouldn't even be able to come back. <laughs> there we go. The conspiracy they could, unveiled. They could recast it with an actor who's even cheaper than me. <laughs> so you you were still at Pinewood quite a bit 
you still go down there and, and yes, an office? Yes, the oldest resident. And do, can you walk around and peek your head into anything you like? Can you open up the doors and see what's going on? I wouldn't dream of doing that. <laughs> I never open doors. The Bond stage, I imagine, the 007 stage, must be. it must be your playground. You must be able to walk on there. Well, it's been changed uh, since uh, we... I, I think it was, it was what year it was, but I know Harold Wilson came to open it, and I was sick. I'd had shingles and felt like death. Right. I had to go there for the opening, mm. a 007 stage. Cubby was very proud of that. And then, of course, it burnt down yes. and rebuilt. But Ken Adams did the most magnificent set when we built it for uh, Spy Who Loved Me, mm. the submarine, submarines inside the ship. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, the cover of the book is, is very interesting because... Uh, you chose not to just use a picture of yourself. It's a, it's an onset picture of you, you and Gregory Peck and David Niven and Trevor Howard. Can you, uh, why did you decide to use that shot? Uh, because I'm going to name drop in the, <laughs> <laughs> in the book, and they, they, they're all part of the book. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of happy memories with, with that film. And I remember it was my brilliant idea to have those chairs with our... Everybody else in the wrong chair. Everybody sitting in the wrong chair. I imagine that you haven't been anywhere for a very long time and not been recognised. But you do tell a story in the book of going to renew your passport. Uh, and it's this very funny story of, of meeting this uh, job's yeah, but, but it's, it's typical uh, home office, yes. Or the treatment, treatment of people, you know, who the hell are you? And then finally sort of saying, can I have your autograph? You know, you get strip searched almost at airports, and they take your shoes off and your belt and your jacket, and you say, "God, I use deodorant today." Mm. And and I, because I have a pacemaker, I have to go. I never go through the thing. I have to go around and be searched even further. Yes, they know if I've got hairs. (laughs) <laughs> and they know what I've got in my pocket because they fold in my pocket and at the end of all that they say can we have a picture oh really yeah it's so funny what do you say I say no of course you can't <laughs> <laughs> let me let me search you then maybe I'll take a picture um, there's some interesting facts about you Roger on the uh, on the internet I just wanted to run through a couple to see whether they're true or not it's a uh, a thing we, we do occasionally. I'm alive. You're alive. That's good. That was number one. Uh, number two is, apparently you were Air France's eight millionth passenger. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that is absolutely true. I wasn't really, but they said I was. <laughs> so so that, that I would go to stay at Rules uh, in Nice, uh-huh. have a week's holiday, ride a caravel, I think it was, the plane. Amazing. Then it was a, a anything but Ryanair. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, there's but another amazing way to go to the toilet. I cannot imagine you on Ryanair. Standing, Roger, so Roger Moore standing on Ryanair. room only. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's it, true. Have they have they really got those? You don't sit down. You you stand. You have a leaning board. I think they talked about it. I don't think they've quite gone there. It's only yet. a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> it, they'll strap you to the wings. But I like the idea of paying to go to the bathroom. It's great. Well, you know, <laughs> short flights. Hold it in. It's all good. Yeah. Um, there's a <laughs> yeah, the, can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> There's an amazing uh, tidbit here. Uh, you were made a captain in the police. 
by the captain of the main state police force, and you retain the power to arrest. Yep. Is this true? Yep, but I, I don't have my warrant card anymore, and I've lost my badge. <laughs> I don't know the, where all those things go. You're a maverick. <laughs> you, you've no longer got a badge, no longer got a gun. No, that's it. <laughs> I, I was maverick. That's mm. true, that's true. <laughs> got 48 hours to crack the case. Hates being wet when acting. Hate being wet. When acting. Is well, this true? Probably, because I have been on sets where there's a lot of water around and I'm always worried about all the cables and wires running through the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never discussed that with anybody. <laughs> and there it is, as fact, on the internet. Uh, <laughs> you do say in the book that you Googled yourself at one point. I did, and apparently... I must have done it a lot last week because uh, a friend of mine in Monaco emailed me today and said, I was 70, whatever it is, Google tweets, or not Google tweets, it's Google, Google search searches. Google search. Or hits. That, yeah. uh, that people, there's been a 79% increase. I actually uh, went on Google just before this interview, and if you type in Roger Moore, it sort of autofills, it puts words that people have been searching for with your name. Uh, and the, the three of them that came up were Roger Moore puns, Roger Moore knitwear and Roger Moore Rolex. I was wondering. I was wondering if you're happy with that. Roger Moore bollocks. Rolex. Oh, Rolex. Thank <laughs> you very much. Uh, um, Does that surprise you? Or Roger Moore knitwear. knitwear okay. and there, that's Michael Caine's favourite. Calls me the big knit because I did knitting patterns <laughs> when, I, when I was hard up, struggling young actor. Really, the big knit. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, people. Okay, I, even on uh, Dame Edna, uh-huh. she he produced a, a knitting pattern. I joke about it, say I'm known as Drop One Pearl, One <laughs> Drop One Plain. You know? <laughs> Do you, have you? When was the last time you wore knitwear? I wore a jockstrap. Yeah, I mean, you mean the, the hand knitted yeah. something? Yeah, I have no idea. A long time. Strange ladies that knit things for me. <laughs> really, do you get given a lot of gifts when you're going on a, a tour with a new book? Uh, a gift is applause. <laughs> is that your favourite gift? More, more, more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, do you have any more books in, in the future? Anything you you would like to, to if write? If I live long enough, I will. Uh... Because you, uh, you you've written about Bond now and uh, a couple of times, a couple of books on Bond, and this is a this is a non-Bond book. This is non-Bond. Yeah, yeah. there's a very deliberate choice not to. He's mentioned a couple of times, but there's no there's no yeah, real Bond. No, well, I've said about all there is to say about Bond. Can't keep going on <laughs> living on that. Maybe I'll write a book about the saint. That would be interesting. Or Ivanhoe. Oh, yeah. I occasionally meet people old enough to remember Ivanhoe. <laughs> I want a bullseye book. There was one scene I liked in Bullseye when I was the blind piano tuner. I see it comes to your mind immediately. <laughs> I did. I saw it last weekend. Or, and, or uh, a lovely uh, moment when an actress said, when. Um, Michael Williams shot a uh, master shot, close up of Michael, close up of me. And then the actress said, What about my close up? He said, One more word out of you, darling. I'll cut you out of this film like, bah, nobody would know you were there. <laughs> That's a great threat. So she just sipped up and, <laughs> and on you went. That was it. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we shall let you go. Uh, Roger, it has been an absolute pleasure. Best of luck with the book, and uh, and thank you. Thank you very much. See you next time.
And a reminder that Sir Roger's first appearance in the pod was a special in which we talked about pretty much nothing but his Bond days. So if you want to check that out, it is available. Search uh, for more or the date, November 2nd, 2012. And do check it out. It's very, very fun. Okay, let's talk about the week's new releases now. Let's start with the film of the week, which is Pride, Matthew Warkis's uh, tale of how a group of politically active gays and lesbians threw their weight behind the miners' strike in 1984 with astonishing consequences. It's got a cracking cast, including Paddy Considine, Imelda Staunton, Bill Nye, Ben Schnetzer, and, of course, George Mackay. Well done. Mackay. I love this film, Helen. I loved it a lot. Um, so this is, I mean, it's, it's a story that genuinely does sound... A, like it's going to be right on and preachy, and B, like it couldn't possibly have happened. Well, it isn't preachy, probably is right on, um, but it definitely did happen. Uh, so it was basically uh, at a London Pride March, uh, a Mark, who's played by Ben Schnetzer, who actually came from Portrush near me, was inspired Mark, to... Mark came from Portrush. Yeah, Mark Ashton. The ca- the, Mark yeah. Ashton, the character. Because Ben Schnetzer is... Is American and has a flawless Northern Irish accent. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting yeah. slightly off topic. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> basically, uh, Mark Ashton was inspired to do something to support someone else. Uh, he realised that there were fewer police than normal at the Pride March that year because they were all off dealing with the miners. They'd been bussed up to uh, to the north of England and to Wales to, uh, to deal with picketing miners. Uh, and he thought sort of, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and started a campaign for lesbians and gays to support the mi- miners. LGSM it became known as and they started raising money and it became quite difficult to find a mining group uh, you know very conservative communities who would actually accept this money from them Uh, so they ended up uh, making contact with a very small village in Wales and formed this amazing sort of relationship with them Um, Matthew Warchus the director who's a a very very accomplished stage director he created Matilda the musical which is incredible he did the Lord of the Rings musical he's He's, done loads of really serious plays as well he's taking over the the old Vic from Kevin Spacey Um, he talks about this being a rom-com between two groups and it kind of is and I think it works success- brilliantly well uh, in those terms because it really you fall in love with both groups even as they're sort of falling in love with each other and I think you know the individual performances but also the, the balance of the collective is just incredibly well done um, and it's so funny and so charming that you can get away with the political stuff that it doesn't feel heavy at all that it doesn't feel preachy really at all despite dealing with some really big issues despite uh, actually being very very political um, I would say with a small p personally but then it appeals to my pinko lefty politics <laughs> it's I, I just thought it was it was absolutely wonderful I went in with very low expectations despite Phil raving about it to me and I came out completely charmed so is this one to drag your granny to yes actually I think it probably is yeah, I, I've been I've been recommending it's, it to everyone. It's a charming, heartwarming film that features Melda Staunton waving a dildo, which is something I didn't think I'd see. I searched long and hard through the deleted scenes from Harry <laughs> Potter, couldn't find anything. This really helped me. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really great. Great performances. The cast are fantastic. Ben Schnetzer, as we, uh, who I think is the closest thing the film has to a lead. Probably, yeah. Probably. It's, it's, it's a true ensemble. It's it a is, really, yeah. really clever, really well-written script by Stephen Beresford, who um, I was reading this week, uh, pitched the uh, story to uh, the producer, David Livingstone, and basically said, no one's going to make this movie. No one's ever going to make this movie. It's an incredible story that I've been wanting to write for ages, but no one's going to make it. But I think it shows how far 
filmmaking has come and I think it shows how far uh, attitudes towards homosexuality in cinema have really uh, progressed over the last since 1984 in fact that you can make this movie and make it seem mainstream and have uh, actors who years ago would have been dubbed brave for playing gay characters uh, at- attacking these roles with, with humour and warmth and it's it's so it's 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 a great crowd pleaser I don't know whether it's going to be as big as a, a full Monty or something like that but for me it's a much better film than it, Full Monty it, it absolutely deserves to be and, and genuinely full credit to Stephen Beresford's script is is terrific mm. I mean there's not a false note in there it's absolutely wonderful uh, and, and the direction as well Matthew Ward just, I just think he gets it's such a difficult story to get the balance right and make us care about all of these disparate characters and I think he, he absolutely succeeds in that I'm, I'm just so impressed by it we do have an interview by the way with the writer and director on the site uh, and we also talked to Bill Nye about his character and he's another guy who just breaks your heart in this film very very shy reserved Welsh minor but just a wonderful performance from him as well yeah and I think everyone's great and it, uh, Imelda Taunton's uh, just a blast in this film Paddy Considine who is very much the the sort of the conscience of the minors he's the one who first meets the uh, the, the LGSM and takes him completely at face value he walks in with no prejudices whatsoever and uh, and really sets the tone I think for the miners. there is opposition when they get to Wales but it doesn't always pan out the way you think it's going to pan out um, uh, as I guess life doesn't as well it's great, it's great. And if you want to read more about the story uh, obviously there's stuff on our website as well but there's a great Guardian piece as well where they actually um, talked to some of the, the people who are still alive these days because it is a true story and a lot of the characters in it are real people. So in summary, what you're saying is there were no real leads, but lots of uh, good minor roles. Indeed, it's my it's my um, it's my picket of the week. My my picket of the week. It's a really striking film. Four four stars. Four four stars for Pride. It's really <laughs> great. It's really great. Go and see it. Right. Uh, next up is the Box Trolls, the latest slice of grotesque fun from Leica Studios, the American stop motion powerhouse behind Caroline and Paranorman. Who wants to tackle the box trolls? So the box trolls is, uh, as you say, the new one from Leica, and we've come to expect a certain uh, look and a style from them. I think Coraline we're going to look back on as their prettiest film. Uh, they seem to be uh, delving into really grotesque and weird-looking characters, and by that I mean the humans in this, never mind the box trolls. Uh, so the story concerns the town of Cheesebridge, uh, a town where it's ruled by a sort of tiny group, an, an oligarchy, if you will, and uh, they're obsessed with cheese and spend all their time talking about cheese and tasting cheese and all their money buying more cheese. Um, the the, sh- the town is also plagued by these box trolls who basically run around at night and they pick up rubbish, essentially. Mm. And take it back to their underground lair. But years before, they took a small child down to their <sighs> underground lair. And now uh, there was obviously a scandal as a result and an exterminator was called in. And he has been promised that he can join these cheese-loving uh, oligarchs at the top of the social tree if he can find and capture all of the box trolls. He's so close to his goal. Um, when we join the story, really, um, he's, he's you know decimated their numbers. He's, he's reduced them to a shadow of their former selves. Mm. Now, Eggs, who is the boy that the box trolls stole uh, voiced by Isaac Hempstead Wright Mm -hmm. from Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. has now grown up he's working with them um, and it turns out that they've been somewhat maligned that they are actually mechanical geniuses working away on their own little projects dancing to music and generally eating grubs to survive um, like us like us <laughs> and uh, and they're actually really quite charming so it's basically the story of how Eggs and the daughter of the town leader who's voiced by Elle Fanning basically try and bring some kind of peace and understanding to this rather bizarre world mm. and it's fun 
It is fun. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a weird one because it's actually been getting a bit of a kicking critically, I think, in the States, most of all. But I found it really charming, really uh, grotesquely charming. I think mm. Leica have, have plowed their own little furrow. They're, you know, they, they do stop motion, but they're not Ardman and they don't have the yeah. same interest as Ardman. They're a bit darker. They're that creepy kid who <laughs> stays up in his room and plays loud, heavy metal music. They're that, they're that essentially. They are. I th- and genuinely, what struck me about this is the, the box trolls, once you get used to them, are quite cute and quite lovable. Um, but the, the human adults are just grotesque. They mm. really are horrible looking. And I think maybe that's one of the, the things that the Americans find quite hard to swallow because it is quite jarring to see animation this kind of out there and this kind of weird looking when if you're used to the this much smoother and, and prettier people of, yeah. uh, of the big studios um but yeah it is a lot of fun great voice uh, cast you've got sir ben kingsley in there jared harris simon pegg nick frost loads of great people um but but it's really the animation which is is beautiful and, and stunning in this case um and we gave it four stars we did give it four stars indeed it is good it keeps up like his uh run and uh and then there's The Most Wanted Man, which is one of the films that, along with God's Pocket, which came out last month, and uh, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Parts 1 and 2, which will be out later in the year and again next year, uh, will give us our final glimpse of the genius of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Ali? Yes, a little bit of background about this one. It is based on a John le Carre novel, a relatively recent novel, actually, and it is about uh, a contemporary world where a jaded spymaster, surprise, surprise, here played by the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman is dealing with a destitute Islamic immigrant uh, played by Mehdi Debbie who is uh, who suddenly appears in Hamburg and has the key I'll say just this to a large amount of money and he becomes a part of this big power play between both this German spy played by Hoffman uh, a banker played by Willem Dafoe and uh, an idealistic lawyer played by Rachel McAdams so all great names um, particularly Seymour Hoffman it's very much his show his movie he's in charge of it uh, and where the novel actually centered more on the relationship between uh, Defoe and McAdams this lawyer banker romance there's more romance to it this is more smiley-esque and uh, it's directed by uh, Anton Corbin this like the American does suffer from being a little too artsy isn't quite right but it's a little too cold and doesn't really concentrate on getting the plot ticking along and keeping you engaged with all of the glorious shots of an Icelandic Nordic type North Northern Europe feeling it's very very nice to look at very crisp you're not really feeling the impetus to find out what's going to come next and by the end of it everything kind of seems inevitable uh, what's going to happen um, that said Philip Seymour Hoffman again another great surprise is excellent in this he sucks down these cigarettes as well as these tumblers of whiskey that he's always got in his hands and it's good it's good to see another solid role from from him but the movie itself doesn't quite live up to what should be a great thing Le Carre Hoffman you know Defoe mm. uh Corbin's got so much potential, but does looks gorgeous. Looks gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, you know, an exciting trailer that I've been enjoying when I've been watching movies recently. But it doesn't quite work. Um, maybe Mockingjay will do better. But if you are a completist, or if you you know worship at the feet of Hoffman, then or, go or and Le see. Carre, obviously, or Le Carre, go and see. Three stars we give that, which, as we always say on the podcast, is a recommendation. So, so, so there we go. Uh, and that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined a week later than originally advertised by virtually the entire cast of the Riot Club. Yes, Max Irons, Douglas Booth, Sam Claflin, Holiday Granger, 
Jessica Brown Findlay, Charles Bronson, Robert Fawn, Brad Dexter, and of course, Horst Buchholz will all be here. Uh, oh, and the living legend, the Man Mountain, that is Liam Neeson, will also be dropping by to keep us up to date with his particular set of skills as he talks about a walk among the tombstones. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Nick. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to bloody Wales to perfect my accent, isn't it? Yeah. Wales, though. The, the one that's to the left of England, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. See you next week. Bye. Bingley bang. <laughs>